Hello and welcome back to The Business of Film, episode number 82. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and this is a podcast about the craft and business of filmmaking. Thank you for joining us uh, if you're new to the show, and I'm pleased to welcome as a guest on today's show, Bob Bassett. He is the Dean of Dodge College of Fine Arts at Chapman University, which happens to be ranked, according to The Hollywood Reporter, as the number six film school in America. This is a wide-ranging conversation about the state of film education. It's a macro conversation, and that's one of the things that I really, really appreciated about this conversation with Bob. Uh, It takes a very wide view of the field, and I think if you're listening to this, really listen carefully to what Bob has to say, because I think especially if you're just now thinking about going into an undergraduate degree in film, or thinking about getting into a graduate program, uh, some really insightful takeaways here from Bob. Also, interesting, the Duffer brothers were a uh, alumni of the program, and we talk about their story as it relates to what happened to them directly after they graduated from the program. So how that first step of theirs was made, really, really interesting, and that's at the end of the show. Oh, and one other thing. At the end of the show, we also have an exclusive clip from a new podcast that I've uh, had the pleasure of listening to. Uh, it's a podcast about the making of Jaws. actually sounds pretty cool, so uh, I'm going to tag that at the, at the end of the show, and you'll be able to hear a little bit more about that after we're done. And without further ado, I welcome Bob Bassett to the show. I'm Bob Bassett. I'm the Dean of Dodge College of Film and Media Arts, uh, a film school located at Chapman University, uh, just outside Los Angeles. And I arrived at Chapman in 1981, and so I've, I've been here 37 years developing the film school, and I think we've developed an amazing, amazing film school. And um, so I'm very happy to talk about it or talk about any associated issues. 37 years at one institution. That, so did you, did you know that this was, was this always the path that you had intended to go? I mean, that's a really long tenure by, by any industry, by any norm. So I, I guess I'm curious, what brought you to the school initially back in 81? Well, you know, I, um, I went to Pomona College, a small liberal arts college out in California. And I loved learning. I was a, a, a English major, and uh, actually there were no film studies really of any sort in those days. Uh, this is back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And um, I went into teaching in public schools and private schools, uh, universities, uh, but eventually got fascinated by photography, and uh, that. Uh, segment into uh, cinematography. So I shot a lot of films, particularly documentary films. And then I heard about an opening at Chapman. They were going to start a film program. And uh, I was the successful person. I thought I'd be here at Chapman maybe a year or two, something like that, because that's all I've ever been at any school, a year or two. But I love the people and um, love the students. And here I am 37 years later. <laughs> well, I guess what's really interesting and what I'm curious about is when the film program existed, just from, just because I'm purely curious about this, when the film program first started out some 35 plus years ago now, what was it like? Like what, what did, you, did you have? I mean, because there was no – digital yeah, did not right. exist. The only way you could actually 
the, the, the only way you could film anything was the cameras that were wildly expensive and filmed. The barriers to entry were right. massive. Like, you, like it's, it's almost like you couldn't contemplate what a career in film was, let alone even understand that there was such right. a thing as a career in film. So I'm wondering what yeah, did yeah. what did the school yeah, look like even as early as like the eight, late 80s and early right. 90s? This was right. still that, you know, what did this, what did it look like film education then? Well, Gemma was a very small school at that time. I got they showed me my office. There was one uh, Aeroflex 16mm camera, one low lighting kit. And one, not even a Nagra, it was a Tanberg sync recorder. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, this is heaven. We can make films with this. And that's the way it was in those days. If you wanted to make a film, you had to go to film school. uh, As you said, film equipment was so, so expensive. And uh, so anyway, I, I did everything. I checked out the equipment and so on. And then I had this idea, how am I going to attract students? Um, And I had this uh, teaching assistant who actually, who now works at Blizzard, very successful alum, and uh, he actually lived in my office. So when I left at night, he would pull out a cot and sleep there. And one day I came in and he had a storyboard uh, for a short film, apocalyptic film, like so many student films. And I said, great, let's go to someplace warm. We'll shoot it in January uh, where the students all take a class for one month and uh, we'll go to Death Valley. So we went to Death Valley. Uh, we camped. We, <laughs> the students drank beer all night and we shot film all day. And at the end of the month, we had our first film and everybody thought it was a masterpiece. And that was the beginning of the film school. I, mean, I guess it's really, I mean, it's kind of the same story nowadays. They're still making films, students, and, and what they, what, did anything ever happen to that particular film that you shot no, back then? No, uh, For the career oh, of those yeah, students? The, or? the students went on, like I said, um, the person that was in my office, whose name is Mark Messenger, uh, moved on to uh, Blizzard, where he is director of cinematics. Uh, for their gaming business. You, you know what that is. They make the, the movie parts of the films. He's very successful. And many others uh, from our program have gone on to be successful. But, you know, you ask what it's like. Well, as I said, you had to go to film school if you want to make a film uh, because a business, I mean, is so expensive to you uh, unless you were independently wealthy or something. And yet the parents would come and say, oh, my son or daughter wants to go into film. Please, you know, help me convince them to go into business. I mean, they'll never get a job in the film business. That's what it was like in the 80s. Flash forward to the present. Now I have uh, parents pleading to get their kids into film school. And, you know, I just... And and, and why is that? If if you don't mind interrupting, why, why... Why do you think that that shift has happened? It's one thing. First of all, the the means of production now with digital means that kids in the fourth grade are making films. And I mean making good films. And so by the time they're uh, leaving high school, they're so passionate about telling stories for the screen. It's utterly different now, utterly different. And so the kids, I was, I was just uh, consulting with the president of another university 
And I told him, if you want the very best film, uh, the very best students at your university, you're going to create a strong film program because the kids that we attract could get into Harvard, Yale, Stanford, but those schools do not have production oriented programs and the kids want to make films. They don't want to have a PhD talking to them who's learned about films out of a book. They want to have industry professionals, which all of my faculty are, uh, who learn by doing, and they want to jump in and start making films day one. And that was our mantra. That's how we kind of started the film school. Um, it's like, come to Chapman, we'll put a camera in your hand day one. You don't have to wait to be a junior like you did at many other institutions. Um, and it's uh, been phenomenal to see. So you you were ranked, or the the film program was ranked number six in the country, according to the Hollywood Reporter, which is no small feat considering the amount of film programs that there are in the United States and in North America. Um, what do you think uh, was the the one or two things that allowed you to sort of get into that top? Yeah, ten? that's a great question. You know, how film schools get ranked, and you write. You know, I was talking about when I went to school, there were virtually no film programs. Today, there's about 600 film programs across the country. So how do they get ranked? Well, I think one of the key things, especially a ranking from like the Hollywood Reporter uh, that's business oriented is through alumni. And so if you look at the highly ranked film schools, uh, USC, NYU, Columbia University, AFI, uh, they have highly successful alums. They have alums, you know, people have heard of Scorsese or Lucas or Zemeckis. I mean, um, so that's part of it. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's happened to our film school. Our alums, we're relatively young. I mean, uh, USC was founded in 1929. We're founded in our, even though I got there in 81, we didn't found our school Dodge College until 1996. So we're just a little over 20 years old. And yet, um, you know, our alums, you know, just a couple of examples, the Duffer Brothers, who are behind Stranger Things, has been a phenomenally successful program for Netflix. Uh, Justin Simeon, a totally different kind of show, Dear White People, has been, you know, first as a feature and then as a uh, second, we're into the second season of that episodic program, uh, phenomenally successful. And I think that's how people become aware of the school. Now, another thing that's happened is that so many executives in Hollywood send their children to our school. And um, that has uh, mushroomed over the last decade also. Um, and, you know, then on top of that, we've, I've got a fabulous faculty. And one of my, um, <laughs> you know, PR statements is learn from the masters. And I mentioned earlier that our faculty didn't learn it out of a book. I mean, we've got people like John Badham, who made Saturday Night Fever and some 30 other feature films. Um, we... You know, Barry Blaustein, who uh, made Coming to America, David Ward, who won the Academy Award for The Sting, Martha Coolidge, who has done many, many pictures, uh, Valley Girl and Beyond. 
Cheryl Boone Isaacs teaches for us. Cheryl was just the recent uh, president of the academy. I could go on and on and on. There's literally dozens and dozens of highly accomplished filmmakers. And, you know, I just mentioned Cheryl Boone Isaacs. And it's from all aspects of the business. Uh, she's, in, she's a master in of entertainment marketing. And entertainment marketing is part of her school. I'm not sure that's true at any other school in the country. Usually that's part of a communications department somewhere else in the university. But um, I think marketing, like I said, I think the business is so important. So all of our students, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what they want to be, production designer, director, writer, take a marketing class just to understand how marketing actually occurs before a film is even made and how you think about the marketing. What would you say is the true benefit of going to a film school versus say taking the $10,000 that you have? I don't know how much by the way it costs to, to go to the school. That's really not, not relevant for this podcast. They can, I'm sure find that out for themselves, but you know, uh, Generally speaking, the debate uh, I feel is: Do you take your money and make a, your, you know a film, a short film, put something up on YouTube, you know, use it to make content, or do you go to a film school? And that question comes up time and time again. And I don't believe there's a right answer. I, I sincerely don't. But I am curious about what you feel the benefit is of going to film school, not necessarily in contrast to, you know, making your own thing, but just purely what is the benefit of going to film school? Yeah. I, um, there's several, several uh, parts to that answer. And, and yeah, I, mean, I think Quentin Tarantino is probably the one that raised this. I mean, he never went to film school. He's a master filmmaker. I could point to a bunch of other people, uh, Ted Sarandos, who runs Netflix, never went to film school. He uh, did the same thing. Tarantino is arguably the most powerful person in Hollywood, and by the way, is on my advisory board and is a fa fabulous individual. Um, first, there's there's two types of film school. There's the undergraduate experience and there's graduate. Why go undergraduate? Well, first of all, I think you know, assuming that you want to be educated, it's a good thing to go to a university or a college. And what you're going to do, and, you know, this is uh, above and beyond film school, but it includes film school. You're going to discover that thing inside you, that passion, that key driving force, that thing that makes you want to get up. And it could be anything. I mean, it could be writing. It could be music. It could be visuals. It could be photography. It could be just watching light uh, and the way it uh, affects uh, things uh, and how to capture that. Um, and so you have four years when you're away from your parents. Uh, your parents have put good ideas and not so good ideas in your mind. And now you're going to discover which ones motivate you. And so that's one reason to go to a university or a college in general and it's especially true in film. And um, like I said earlier, young people are so passionate about film and then they get to a university like ours, Dodge college, and they can collaborate. They find their, you know, in high school, they were a fish out of water and, um, you know, they love this thing, but not so many other people did. They were going to go on and be physicians or 
attorneys or businessmen or investors or something. And now they come like we have a, we have the most incredible facility, uh, on the planet, frankly. And, uh, you know, we have sound stages, we have a fabulous theater, we have the ultimate, uh, you know, Alexa cameras, all the latest digital cameras. So they come and they see this place, but it's not just the bricks and mortar. It's the collaboration, the fact that there's so many people like them. And as an undergraduate then, now back to undergraduate education, you try everything. You try production design. You try directing. You try editing. You try being a DP. You find what you like. The reason to go to graduate school is that hopefully you've discovered what you like, and now you want to focus on it. And so... In graduate school, the writers write, the directors direct, the DPs shoot the films. And so they deepen. Oh, that's interesting. I never actually, I never realized that. So you actually have the program split into undergraduate, where you pretty much sample and taste right. everything, and graduate, pro, graduate school, where you actually focus on, like you would, uh, having a, you know, doing a master's in, in this specific field. You, you focus on your particular area of of, I don't know, expertise, like you're saying, directing, yeah. writing, cinematography, whatever. So it's, you, oh, that's really, now, are other programs in the country split like that? Or is that unique to your school? Because I've never There's heard that few. before. It's really uh, thought of as a conservatory. Like people are used to music conservatories. Like you're going to play the violin in a music conservatory. That's what you do. If you're going to play the cello, you play the cello. And there's some, so it's a conservatory-based education. And then, of course, we take X number of directors, X number of DPs, X number of writers, and then they all collaborate and they work together on films. And working on films is like a spiral. I mean, you can't make a film unless you know everything, but of course you don't know everything. So you make something kind of finger exercises at the beginning. And then each project that you do gets more sophisticated, more sophisticated until you make your thesis film. Now, the other thing about graduate school is that the cinematographers are also learning about what is the path to be a cinematographer, you know, and same thing with the editors. I mean, you're not going to become an editor. You're not going to graduate from film school and become an editor. You're going to be an assistant of some kind. And that's a, a particular craft in itself. And so it's important to know how to be an assistant. So we have workshops in that. Same thing with directing, same thing with production design and so on. So it's, it's quite different. You know, undergraduate is like explore, they're taking half of their classes in history and art and math and other things but just to become roundly educated. But uh, at the graduate level, it's much more focused on the, the disciplines. So are they both considered the film school or is it you're just going to get an, an undergraduate degree at Chapman where you happen to be specializing in film and then eventually you, you can go to the graduate program? And I guess you don't have to do the undergraduate to get into the graduate program. Like anybody could just apply and do the graduate program. Yeah, that's exactly right. So at the undergraduate level, you get a, a bachelor of fine arts and most of the undergraduates go into the business. And, you know, uh, one of the advantages we have, we're close to LA, so they do lots of internships. They start seeing what the business is like uh, and they move on into the business. So if you go to graduate school, uh, then graduate students come from literally all over the world 
I mean, I'd say, I don't know, 25%, 30%, maybe more of our students are from China and they're fabulous students, just fabulous. Um, and they, you know, you, you could go to our undergraduate program and then the graduate program, but most likely you're going to come from another program someplace else around the country. And I always say that, you know, if I were choosing a film school, I would choose it in one of two places, Los Angeles or New York. That's where the business is. And uh, so a lot of, I say there's 600 programs plus around the country. So a lot of students will want to spend, you know, their uh, the last couple of years uh, in Los Angeles or in New York uh, where they can get internships and start to understand how the business works. Okay, so let's let's talk about that for a second because that's really interesting because you, you brought up two things there that I find particularly fascinating. One is that, you teach people how to be assistants, not necessarily as pointed as that, but what you're teaching is how to navigate the field. So if you want to become an editor, the path to become an editor, in your example, is to become an assistant editor. So you teach people how to be an assistant editor. And before that, it sounds like, okay, you're going to go and get internships. Do you... So first question, um, do you facilitate internships and how does and if so how does the school go about doing that and and is there is there a focus on placing students with particular companies or on actual film productions just does that is that something that you, um, that you do or oh focus yeah. on? That's, that's a crucial part of what we do first of all it's, it's part of the educational experience so there is an actual class an internship class and the students will sometimes take that two or three times. Sometimes they take it. Wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 hold on, wait, wait. There's an internship. So not only do you have a class on being a director, not only do you have a class on being an assistant director or whatever, but you actually have a class on being on how to be a good well, intern. Well, how the class isn't like a classroom class. The class is just oversight on the internship. So there'll be an in, uh, a faculty member who perhaps even helps a student get an internship at a place where they worked, somebody they know, connect them. The student, sometimes the students get their own internships. But there's a certain amount of, of mentoring. You know, how do you do things? And this is what I hear back from my friends in the business, high-level friends in the business all the time. We love Chapman interns. We love the interns from, from Dodge College. Because they're not entitled. I hear that all the time. Some some people feel like, oh, I'm already a director. Oh, I'm already a DP. You know, I don't make coffee. I don't Xerox stuff. And our students are not that way. They want to learn. Uh, if they're Xeroxing something, they're going to read it. So they're going to learn. You know, if they're, uh, they'll do anything to um, learn as much as they can when they're uh, proximate to, you know, high-level people. So internships, I think, are, are very, very important because in the sense of the business. And uh, how the, the second part of the question is because there's there's no really one right path, I suppose, to do the thing that you want to do. I mean, there's any number of ways you, you can become a screenwriter or a working writer in Hollywood or become a director. Um, do, do you have – is this – I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to ask, you know, without 
being as simplistic uh, as saying, you know, well, how do you become an editor? How do you become a director? How do you become these things? I'm guessing I'm more curious about the process, which is, do you have processes or templates or ways of thinking about entering the industry in specific fields? So it could be production, grip, gaffer, whatever, cinematography, director, writing. Do you have processes and templates about thinking about those things? And secondly, do those processes processes and, and templates differ from specialty to specialty, or are you applying the same thinking and approach to whatever chosen path a student may want to take? Yeah, well, we do. And, and again, now I, I circle back to our faculty. You know, our faculty, you know, the directing faculty have directed many uh, features, many episodic things. They, they're going to teach uh, directors how to work with actors, and they're also going to give them career advice. You know, we are... Uh, our cinematography faculty are ASC cinematographers. They know the business. And so not only are they teaching the students how to light, how to uh, comport themselves on a set, but they're also teaching them about what the next step will be. What will be the first step? How do you associate yourself with somebody who's already further down the path and become an assistant or a camera uh, operator or, you know, there are a number of steps getting, it used to be a very clear step when there was film, you know, first of all, you're a loader. So you load the film into the magazines. That's your first job. Then you do, you know, a lot of those things have all gone away, but now it might be, you know, if you kind of figured out the same kind of thing, you might be what's called a DIT on the set, which is you're not the cinematographer, but you're the one that helps color uh, the film before it's uploaded for editing. Um, so there's with digital, there's a whole set of different tasks. And, you know, to answer your question more directly, our faculty are the ones that talk about the career. You know, you want to be a director of photography. Here's the, the, the kinds of things you should know. You should go to the ASC clubhouse. You should get to know the guys up there. They can give you tips on opportunities on and on and on. So there's a lot of career advice given by our faculty, and it's very specific to editing, very specific to production design, very specific to director of photography, and on and on. In terms of the the expectation that somebody would have going to a program like yours, if I was doing a graduate degree or I was doing an undergraduate degree, I guess it would be different in, in either of those scenarios. But ultimately, what expectations and what should people be thinking of when they kind of come to the program? Like, what is it that you want ideally for your students to get out of going to Chapman Film School? Well, I, I think for like, okay, again, circling back to, um, you know, some of our conversation earlier, I think the first thing is this is, they're a blank slate. And what they want to do is discover what their special qualities are, where they can make a difference. That's the first thing. The next thing is, I think they have to be open to the future. Um, you know, it's amazing how disruptive Netflix has been, Amazon has been, Hulu. Uh, there's so much change in the business. For instance, or, or I'll take another example. So, 
what I was, I'll finish that thought. So I think they need to look forward and think that we're preparing them for a job that doesn't exist. We're maybe even preparing them for a medium that doesn't exist. You know, we're preparing them for their job 20 years from now. So that means we're preparing them how to think, preparing them uh, how to tell a story. And that sounds so easy to say, but telling a story is very difficult. Even though it's been around, you know, since campfire days when people sat around the fire and told each other stories. I mean, you know, you have to do it over and over and over again until you, you finally a light goes on. You get it. You know, this is. This, yeah, it's, it, it's very funny, actually, that, that you say that, because one of my favorite quotes is actually from Tony Gilroy. And he says, people have watched a million movies, yet the minute they sit down to write a screenplay, for some reason they forget everything they've ever seen yeah, in their entire that life. that's true. And, and, and so I, I agree with you. I, yeah. <laughs> the craft is really, really yeah, difficult. No, that's great. And, I, and I've heard no shortage. You know, one of the things we do, again, you know, asking about preparing, I bring a steady stream of guests to campus. Uh, I host dinners and invite students to the dinners. I, uh, we bring them to class. And, and so many of the writers say that exact thing, you know, that you write and you write and you write. And finally, finally, this, you, you get the structure, you get how it's going to work and a light goes on. And then, then it starts to make sense. Still hard, but at least you're on the right track at that point. So um, anyway, I, you know, you, you think of 10 years ago, Netflix didn't exist. Um, you know, who knows what it's going to be like in the future. I actually think one of the most promising things for young people right now is short episodic, 10 minute long episodes. And that's because of the pressure of uh, so many young people, some, and even young people, just so many people watching uh, media on their iPhones or iPads or computers. And, you know, that, you're saying, like, in terms of the, like, what should they do when they're making whatever it is that they want to make? Just go out and make something that's 10-minute, episodic, upload that, make that, share that. Is that, is that well, what you're getting at? I think, uh, you know, that that's already happening on at places like YouTube where young people have channels and are creating uh, content. Yeah. But I think there's going to be, just like, um, you know, first of all, there were sitcoms and then Netflix kind of changed the whole thing by releasing all of the uh, episodes at one time and created binge watching. And I think the next step is going to be sure, you know, those are typically still hour long programs, maybe a season of eight or 12 or whatever it is. It can be variable. It's not like it used to be. Uh, but I think that, um, in the future, I mean, if you look at what's happening in the business, Jeffrey Katzenberg just hired Meg Whitman uh, to run his company, and they're going to focus on short-form episodic, and he's raising a huge fund to do that. So I think, you know, that's one thing that's going to be the future. Another thing that's going to be the future is virtual reality and augmented reality. And young people actually know much more about that than uh, us oldsters in the business. I mean, um, there's a lot of opportunity. Nobody knows exactly where it's going to go, but it's going to be a huge part of the future. So I think when you, you know, now kind of coming back to the original question you asked, 
when you think about, okay, I'm, I'm going to film school. Well, it's not like, well, I'm going to go and work at Warner Brothers and be a director. I mean, that's not really the kind of thinking that's very profitable. What you want to do is be open and learn as much as you can about as many things as you can, because the opportunities four years from now, six years from now, 10 years from now, probably don't even exist today. But you have to be able to think critically. You have to be able to think story. You have to understand the development process. You have to understand how to monetize a project. And and that's a lot of thing. Something that you know, making films in high school, you're not thinking about monetizing anything. But if you want to stay in business, you got to make sure that the uh, model is right, and you're actually going to make your money back, whatever it costs to make the project. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because what you're alluding to, or maybe not even alluding to, you're basically saying this that it used to be enough to say I wanted, you know do, you know, editorial and say, I just, I just want to be an editor. But now I don't know if that's sufficient. I mean, there are those who are lucky enough to just do that, but the vast majority of people probably can't. The vast majority of people have to understand, I guess, the, you know, these, these kind of four quadrants, business, marketing, production, editorial, right? Like, so they, 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 this holistic picture of, the business and the industry has now gone from almost being a craft per, craftsperson in one specific field to having this much broader knowledge. And I, again, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm hypothesizing a bit as I'm saying this and discussing this with you, but that's what I'm getting from what you're saying, which is there's you just got to know a lot more about. A I, lot I more. absolutely agree with you. And uh, you think back even you know when I was. Yeah, back in the 70s and 80s, I mean, there was rampant nepotism. And so if you wanted to be a cinematographer, if your uncle wasn't a cinematographer, you weren't going to be a cinematographer. You weren't going to get in that guild. And the same thing with editing and on and on throughout all the guilds. And um, today is is completely different. As, as you say, you have to know as much as you can about everything. Uh, because you don't know, you know, you don't know where the opportunities are going to arise. So, uh, it's a a different world. Um, you know, we have a, um, feature film company at Chapman. And so the model for the feature film company is called Chapman Filmed Entertainment. And we're just getting ready to go into production next month, uh, on our next film. And the model, um, it's, we make uh, films in the one to two million dollar range, and uh, it's meant for our alums uh, because students don't usually have five weeks they can take off from their classes to make a film, but they are PAs on the set. Uh, on the other hand, the alums who are just out of school, maybe a year, two, three, you know, are looking for opportunities, and so they come back and they become the heads of all of the. Uh, departments, you know, the cinematographer, the editor, the director, production designer, and so on, which is very difficult to do just out of film school. You might get an assistant job or a PA job, but you're not going to be a head of the department. So it's a great experience, but, you know, it's important that they really know about all aspects of filmmaking. For instance, you know, we're, we're readying, a, readying a script for production. 
and we are hiring the people. And so we hired the editor and, and the editor then circled back to the script and um, suggested a number of changes in the script that would facilitate the editing. And it's things that the writer and the director wouldn't necessarily think about. And, and so it makes the, thing, the whole thing stronger when people know all of the aspects of making a film. They know what goes into writing. They know what goes into working with actors. They know what goes into directing and the character proxemics, setting up the camera, how long it takes to get a shot. The more you know and the more experience you've had, the stronger you're going to be. It just occurred to me that I didn't ask you at the beginning. I probably should have started there. Um, what's the age range of your students? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the undergraduates are pretty typical, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids, you know, could be a little older, but around that range. And then, yep. uh, graduate students are anywhere from their, you know, say 22 to 30, even 35. Sometimes they go, you know, we have, I have people, you know, that have been attorneys. They went to, to law school. And then they decided, I don't like this, you know, and they come back and they want to be filmmakers. And, um, you know, they're... Why is it always lawyers? <laughs> it's always lawyers. Do you ever, do, do, do you notice that? It's well, always know, the lawyers. There's without question. It's not, it's not architects. It's not doctors. It's not, you know, it's, it's not yeah. accountants. It's always yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I think you're right on that, Jesse. You know, it's but it, the thing is, like I think I said this earlier, but like I was a, a literature major and I wanted to write the great American novel. But if I were starting school today, I'd want to be a filmmaker. I mean, I think film is the literature of this century, and uh, it's the language we all speak. Um, I mean, you know, people are constantly talking about how films have impacted and um, changed their lives. This is actually interesting because, you know, we've had this, we're having this conversation. Most of the people who are listening to this, who are going to probably have, I guess, the two camps of people that are going to have the most benefit from this conversation are those that are looking to come back and do the graduate program or those that are like 16, 17 years old that are trying to figure out what you want to do next. Um, and so the, the, on the heels of, of that context, what is the application process? So say, Hey, I want to go to Chapman. This sounds really cool. Um, what do you got to do? How competitive is it? You know, what's it going to take to get in? Yeah, that's a a great question. And, um, so First of all, it's very competitive. We turned down nine out of 10 students, and the nine we turned down are probably just as good. Um, you can't really tell if a student is, has created promise from SAT scores or, or GPAs from high school. So what we do is ask them to make a two-minute film, and when they make a two-minute film, they cannot be in, but it has to tell us something about themselves. And I'm, I used to watch them all. I don't, I don't, I'm not involved in admissions anymore, but, uh, you know, sometimes I would look at a film and it's like, don't even show me a score. We're going to take that kid. That is an amazing two minutes right there. And, and he's only in high school. Imagine what he's going to be like when he, we put him next to some of our mentors. So, um, you know, I think the, the 
you know, most probably most film schools are asking students to write. Uh, we do that too. So there's a writing component. There's a film component. And, um, you know, from that we, we get a sense. And also we interview them. We call them up and interview the graduate students. We, we call all the graduate students and interview them. And the people that call them are the faculty. So if they want to be a director, then one of my directing faculty will call them. And believe me, they're very impressed to get a call from some of these amazing people we have and who they've heard of or seen their films. And, uh, you know, the editors call me. That actually sounds really cool. I, I have to admit, if I was a student and I was trying to get into the film business and all of a sudden, you know, you've got so-and-so <laughs> the Duffer Brothers giving you a call up or something silly like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Dan, yeah. that'd be fun, right? No, that'd be fun. And I've had students tell me that. This is like... I wasn't, I got in, accepted in, you know, these five schools and I wasn't sure where to go. And then I got this call and I was like, ah, it's so personalized. Of course, that's where I want to go. So anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I guess what I want to know is, you know, uh, who taught the Duffer brothers and what did they do when they left school? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I'm saying I'm saying that kind of I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but there's a greater yeah. truth in that. You've got some very successful you've got some very successful people who've come out of the program. They've made some amazing shows, right? So it's kind of like right out of the gate. So let's 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 take a look at the other side of the the other okay, side of the coin. That's a great first side of that coin was okay. How do you get in? The other side is okay. Now what do you do? Yeah, once you're done? No, that's a great question. And I'll tell you uh, very specifically about the Deffer brothers. First of all, one of their key mentors was my associate dean, Michael Kowalski, who's a fabulous teacher, and has stayed in touch with him all his time. And uh, so one of the things we do is we host a screening of our best films. And by best, I mean we pick about five or six films, about an hour and a half or two hours worth of short films. And we screen them at the Director's Guild each year. And the year that the Duffer Brothers graduated, which I think was 2007, and that shows you about how long it takes to become successful in the business. A decade is not unusual to get your name known. So I would uh, invite industry guests, and I, um, one of the people that was there was Tony Seller, who ran Fox Marketing, you know, very creative guy. So we screened the films. They had made this film uh, called Eater, a horror film, which is not my favorite kind of film. And so I was like, oh, well, it's a good film, but not my kind of film. And Tony Sella from Fox ran up and said, where are those? Where are the Deffer brothers? Those guys have amazing talent. And he ran over and talked to them because it, we always had the students in attendance and then introduced them to the president of Fox Atomic. They went there, they got interviewed, they pitched them, Nothing happened there. Uh, then they decided to sit down and write their own project, which they did. And they took it to Warner Brothers, and it got commissioned. And it was a $12 million film that they wrote and directed. Uh, it seemed like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, everybody's dream. Just a year or two out of film school, they already got a $12 million film. It got completely shelved at Warner Brothers because there was a change of 
of uh, leadership when Kevin came in. And so um, then they moved on and did uh, uh, Wayward Pines with um, with uh, they were writers in the writers' room with M. Night Shyamalan uh, back somewhere in the East Coast. They did that. And then they decided to write their own material again. And they connected with Netflix. And I remember that I was at the Telluride Film Festival and Ted Sarandos, I told you, who runs Netflix, was on is on my advisory board and we had dinner together and he says, I can't tell anybody this, but we've just commissioned the Duffer brothers to do a season of stranger things. It's going to be fabulous. And, um, so, uh, you know, and, and the rest is history. So that came out and an insane amount of people saw it, uh, right away, binge watched it. No shortage of, uh, parents have told me, wow, this is a series you can sit down. It's very Spielbergian. You can sit down and watch it with your kids. Uh, then season two, I forget how many millions of people saw it. It was just huge. Uh, and in like four days, 16 million people saw uh, Stranger Things. So so that's one example. I mean, you know, there's not like it doesn't happen to everybody. But those guys were very persistent. Um, again. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the thing that I take away from this story is really the beginning of it and the end of it. The beginning of it is it, it was, it's the talent. Like, did you, 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 what, what, and, and, and the second part of it is that you, the have, they have to be in the right place for the talent to be discovered. I mean, yes, you can throw your, your thing up on YouTube and that's great, but I think the advantage that I'm hearing from what you do with this uh, screening opportunity, which ultimately is the door. It's, it's, it's the doorway. It's one of the primary reasons to, again, coming back to this, why do you go to a, skill, uh, a film school? Education, yes. Network, yes. Uh, opportunity to fail, you know, uh, yes. You know, all these, all these check marks that I think are, you know, fabulous things. But one of the greatest things about the Duffer Brothers story is you put them in a room with a decision maker, and that decision maker saw talent. Now, if they're not talented, doesn't really, it doesn't matter. But the talent plus the opportunity that your program gave them, I mean, you can't, you can't buy those two things, right? Those two things together is the magic sauce. It's the secret sauce. Like that, that's it. And, you know, and you're good. Someone knows you're good. You're going to, you will find more work, which they did. And it's great that their project went down because I bet you had that project succeeded. It never would have led to stranger things. I mean, you just look at the die, you know, like how things happen. Yeah, right? yeah I think, I think what you just said is very true. I, I would add this, that you, you need talent. You, you need the experience, but you also need to know how to take over a room and pitch your story. So, you know, one of the weird things about universities is that they don't teach sales. Even the business school doesn't teach sales. But if you want to sell a project, you've got to know how to pitch it. And it, there's very really specific things that will lead to the success of that. So that's, that's one of the things we have in our school is a pitch class. And the kids pitch their projects over and over again, and they keep honing their skills. So when they do get in the room with that executive, they'll 
do the best they can possibly do. I mean, what else, you know, when you walk out the door, if you thought, okay, I gave it my best shot. I mean, I mean, what else can you do? That's it. And, um, so again, you know, this is all circling back to the, the, your central question, why go to film school? Well, you get all these little training uh, and honing of skills that you might not get if you're trying to figure it all out yourself. Well, I just want to say thank you. I mean, we're kind of coming up here on uh, our time for the day, but um, I really enjoyed this conversation, Bob, and I, I, and I appreciate what your school is doing differently from what other programs out there, you know, in in North America uh, are doing. And certainly I never heard of some of these things. And I've spoken to other people in the business and we've had other people, as we talked about before the show, we've had other people from other film schools, you know, on this podcast. Um, and I really appreciate your approach. I think it's different. I think it's touching on things that aren't out there that students, people entering the business need. Um, and I just want to wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, I, I honestly do. And I, I um, if somebody wants to find out more information about your program uh, and how they would go about looking you guys up, where's where's the best place for them to, oh, well, to go? Yeah, the uh, Chapman University website is probably a good place to start. List all of our faculty, all of our curriculum, uh, how to apply, all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of our school. Uh, I've got the greatest team in the world. I've got great faculty, great staff, uh, very upbeat positive place. Uh, and it's been a great pleasure talking to Jesse and sharing uh, our experiences with him. Bob Bassett, I thank you for joining us on the show. I hope if you are considering going to a film school that uh, this was uh, this was useful for you. Uh, I definitely encourage you to check out our back catalog of episodes now, over 80 episodes deep, with a lot of how-to information about what it takes to actually get a film made and how the business of film really works. So uh, feel free to dive in and check all that stuff out. On social media, you can find us at Craft Truck, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And now, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've got a small tag. Um, the folks over at, uh, at, I was going to say, the folks over at Jaws and Wondery sent me this exclusive clip. It's a seven-minute clip from one of their new shows that's actually launching today. Um, I heard it. I checked it out. Please note, this is not a paid uh, advertisement. Uh, not getting paid for this at all. Uh, I just genuinely like the story. I love Jaws. I think there's some really cool uh, educational stuff in here, story-wise, uh, about how that film came to be. And uh, yeah, I just hope you enjoy this. So I'm just going to tag this here on the end. Uh, I enjoyed it and hope you do. The following contains mature content. You've been warned. From Wondery, I'm Mark Ramsey, and this is part one of Inside Jaws. July 1, 1916. A perfect day at the Jersey Shore. Charles Van Zant was in the mood for a swim. Hey, let me show you how far out I can go. He was 25, a smart-looking young man with dark, slick-back hair. 
Charles was a stockbroker from a prominent Philadelphia family, and this was his first swim of the summer season. As he paddled out, he could see the fine young women with their petticoats and parasols. They were watching from the shore. That cheer, that was for him. A few others were in the water too, but he passed them now. He was all alone. A man and his ocean and his dog. He paused just to listen. And he turned on his back and floated. He was engaged to be married to a beautiful woman. He was young and strong and handsome with a fine career. It was a perfect day, and he had a perfect life. And a golden retriever named Jack. Jack, come on back. Jack was swimming to the shore. Fine, Charles had made his point. He looked at the sand, people there, dots on the horizon. Ahead, the Engelside Hotel, a grand and glorious gem on the water. There you could find sophisticated ladies and gentlemen who journeyed from New York City and Philadelphia every summer. The cities emptied, and they came. They came for the magnificent sunrises, the crisp ocean air, and the gentle sound of the peaceful surf. In the lobby that morning, Local fishermen gathered. Where were the fish, they grumbled. The catch, is, the catch is awful. It was as if the fish were frightened of something. Charles was swimming the crawl, smooth, effortless. His dog was nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. Jack? One hundred yards to shore. Ahead he could see people shouting and pointing. Seventy-five yards to shore. Fifty yards. The sun was beating down on him. He could see his reflection in the sand below. Thirty yards. He saw his reflection eclipsed by a vast dark shadow. The water was suddenly warm from the spreading pool of his own blood. Charles fought even as the predator's teeth ground down on his bones. He could touch the sand. He was almost out of the surf. Grab his hands. Help me here. Time was standing still. Charles reached out for help. That's when the thing let go. Oh! Oh! The monster had him again, this time by the thigh. The surf was receding. The fish was now on the sand, and he was holding fast to what was left of Charles Van Sant. The creature's mouth was moving. He was trying to swallow the man whole. The monster was off the sand, back in the water. Nobody knew how or why, but the beast let go and vanished into the ocean. 
They carried Charles away from the water and laid him on a towel. The crowd gathered. Numb with shock and horror, he was still alive, barely. He was a, a sickening sight. His left leg virtually torn off. A gaping hole in his side where his thigh had been. He was blood and trembling, mangled flesh. I was looking right at him. I'll never forget his expression. It was blank, white, helpless, and so sad, shaking. He raised his arm to the sky like he was praying for mercy. Nineteen eighty-one, Phoenix, Arizona. <sighs> she tells me clean up the basement or clean up the basement. Where to begin? Hey, I hope that wasn't a mouse. <sighs> Got to start somewhere. It was in a dark corner. It had been there for many years. A box full of old movies. Dozens of amateur 8mm films disintegrating. The box's owner had long since moved away, and so the box was shipped to Los Angeles, where two 15-year-old boys who made their own 8mm films worked day and night to repair them for weeks. The boys were overwhelmed by what they saw. Reel after reel. Movies like their own, but much older. So many, so rich, so ambitious, and some featuring elaborate special effects. How do you do that? Dude, I have no idea. For their work, they were paid $250. They would have done it for nothing. That's it. I think we're done. The boys were named Matt and JJ. Matt Reeves would grow up to direct the Planet of the Apes franchise and J.J. Abrams would one day helm a new generation of Star Trek and Star Wars movies. Their patron's name was scrawled in Sharpie across the side of the old box, hidden for years, forgotten, lonely, in the basement of his boyhood home. It read, Steve Spielberg. That was just a preview of Inside Jaws. To hear the rest, subscribe to Inside Jaws on Apple Podcasts, right now, or to hear the first five episodes of Inside Jaws ad-free, go to wondery.com slash plus. That's wondery.com slash plus.